John Kerry, Dianne Feinstein, Claire McCaskill, Mark Cuban, Taylor Swift, and Oprah Winfrey announced plans to join the 2020 Democratic field. <laughs> Donald Trump Jr.'s book debuts at number 3,000 on the nonfiction list and number one on the fiction list. <laughs> and in a surprising move, Alabama Senate candidate Jeff Sessions says he now supports reparations and demands that the North repay the South for Civil War damage. <laughs> Welcome to the Wolfpack. I'm Carl Wolfson along with Kim Upham, Dylan Hydes, and Paul Block. Our producer is Patrick Zahn, and welcome, guys. Good to be with you. You know, when we left uh, you, well, actually, when we were, not when we left you, when we were broadcasting last Tuesday, we were uh, pretty excited that Democrats were doing very well. Uh, The Kentucky race had been called uh, for Andy Beshear. Um, You mentioned, Kim, that the Democrats took over not only the Senate in Virginia, but the House of Delegates. And uh, since then, a lot more good news has come out. Uh, the House of Delegates actually in Virginia for the first time in 400 – it's 400 years – has a woman speaker and a Jewish speaker. A woman, <laughs> a Jewish speaker. A sh- Fantastic. Yeah. Eileen Filler-Korn is um, – you, you'd expect she'd win in Iowa with Filler-Korn <laughs> as her name. But uh, – and what we learned from the suburban counties of Philadelphia – is that Trump is losing the suburban vote, which I think is the key to this election. So uh, I think it's exciting that we learned only positive things since last Tuesday. And Dylan, uh, you left us last Tuesday to go to an election victory party. Tell us about that. That's right. There's some good stuff happening locally, too. You know, I might serve on the board of the Westland Wilsonville School District. And we had on the ballot uh, a bond measure to support uh, schools. And we also had a local option levy. Historically, these have not always passed. And when they have passed, it's usually by single digits. The bond passed this year by 20 points. And the levy, wow. the levy passed by 30 points. Fantastic. Um, and this was yeah. due to we had such a strong uh, volunteer base. So we were raising money, knocking on doors, phone banking, uh, talking to people, going to meetings and rotary clubs. And uh, it was just a really groundswell from below. And it was really great just to see the community come up and, you know, these were not small amounts of money for people. And to support schools like this, it just makes you really proud to live in the Westland Wilsonville community. Congratulations. Keep keep that committee going through next election. For those who weren't (laughs) with us for the first uh, episode of the Wolfpack, Dylan is the only elected uh, person at this table. Who does? And and actually, uh, let let me say that that, uh, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but you decided to run because after the 2016 election, you felt like you had to do something more than you were already doing. Right. I mean, yelling from the sidelines wasn't doing enough. We need to, uh, people to be active at all levels of government to make sure that what's happening at the top isn't coming too far down. Well, What's the next office you go for? School board. All right. You're running again? <laughs> I haven't made that official. Um, I, I have another year and a half to decide. But yeah, I may run again. Cool. Yeah. I think you can do better. I, I would never denigrate my job now to say no, I no, but I love, you know, I love school board. the state legislature would be a good place. Yeah, I think so know. too. Yeah. Well, I mean, if an open if an opening came up, um, I would consider that. But right now, we have Rachel Prusak, who's in her first term, and she's doing a fantastic job for our community. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Okay, and I would never primary a good Democrat. Uh, in the future, it might be the year of the man, and you can run. <laughs> uh, <laughs> year, year of the straight white man is that happening soon? Year of the straight white man. Yeah, <laughs> it's never left the South. Go full circle. Um, <laughs> you could run and be governor of a lot of states. Uh, before we get into our questions, um, the Supreme Court. This is 
really encouraging news to me. I just want to mention it briefly at the head of the show. Uh, the Supreme Court today said, today, Tuesday, said it won't stop this lawsuit by Sandy Hook victims against Remington Arms. Now, that's the company that manufactured the semi-automatic rifle that was used in that mass shooting. And a lot of people are saying this could be a big blow to the gun industry. In 2005, there was a federal law passed that protects gun manufacturers from wrongful death lawsuits brought by family members. But the victims' families in Sandy Hooks are using a much different approach. They're going after Remington's market strategy. They're contending that that Remington marketed these rifles for militaristic means, and they reinforced the image of a combat weapon. And this was in violation, the suit says, of a Connecticut law that prevents deceptive marketing practices. Uh, they say the rifle was, quote, designed as a military weapon and engineered to deliver maximum carnage with extreme efficiency. The fact that SCOTUS is letting this through um, is a good sign. I don't know how it will end up, but it's another small step uh, towards making gun manufacturers uh, responsible. Do you know if there was a vote produce. involved in that or was it just the you, we don't not, line to accept there were, it? There were not enough justices to block it. Or to uh, to say the suit can't go forward. So, we don't know what the we don't okay. know what the vote was, but the Supreme Court simply declined to stop to stop the lawsuit. You know, as a trial lawyer, I just want to comment on what a horrible idea blanket immunity laws like this are. Because I mean, one of the geniuses of the civil justice system is that it encourages good behavior. But when you tell an industry, "Hey, do whatever you want; you can never be sued." This is what you get: people marketing machine guns and weapons of war to civilians, and right. terrible things happen. Right. And we have to. We again, we have to have this mass movement that is occurring against gun violence in this country, and looking for every means to stop it, whether it's uh, more mental health. Uh, benefits, red flag laws, um, whatever. And we also have to have the pressure coming through the legal system on the manufacturers of these weapons of war and these these bullets that are just uh, – this ammunition, which is outrageous. So we need it all, and I think this is a good first step. Paul, I uh, got some questions for the gang tonight. We sure do. We came up with a few good ones. First one involves our friend Michael Bloom. Michael Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> Michael Bloomberg. How's Michael Bloom doing, by the way? How is Michael Bloom doing? I don't know. He's I our think friend. He's pretty good. I think he's growing something. Michael Bloomberg and former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick are considering jumping into the Democratic primary. As a matter of fact, Bloomberg is already registered in Alabama. And Arkansas today. And Arkansas today. He went in person to Arkansas. Oh, son of a Which gun. is in itself a courageous act. They allow Jews in Arkansas? Well, now I was thinking, you know, <laughs> you'll see things in Arkansas you won't see anywhere else. I was there once. I saw a 12-year-old girl smoking right in front of her children. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Courage. Was she married to her cousin? Uh, that's a given. Well, if we want to consider Bloomberg and, and Patrick, uh, uh, do, do you think that many Democrats are dissatisfied with the current field? Uh, are they looking for more? And could there be a white knight out there? Uh, anybody want to jump in on that one? Who wants to say if Deval Patrick is a white knight? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. My wife, by the way, thinks using the word white knight is inappropriate these days, and we ought to come up with another well, probably figure. Probably that's true. I think she yeah. has a point. She does. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But until we come up with another word, I'll call it white knight, uh, because then people will know what I'm talking about. Uh, my own feeling is, just for the record, since nobody else is jumping in here, uh, my own feeling is that— there's not a white knight for this conversation? <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> Is that they, they, they may be looking for more people. They may be dissatisfied with the current field. 
it may be that nobody in the current field is going to get more than 30 or 40% into the convention. Uh, but I don't think that Michael Bloomberg and Deval Patrick are the white knights. I think Michael Bloomberg has too much going against him. I think he's a, number one, he's a, a sort of a boring guy that can't uh, 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 excite a big crowd. But he's also got, he's also got uh, going against him, he's got his support of stop and frisk in New York, which I believe is unconstitutional, uh, but they were doing it and he was heavily behind it. He's a major uh, opponent of legalizing marijuana. Uh, uh, and, and there goes Santa Cruz, California. <laughs> yeah, that's my hometown. Oh, that's right. My sister and brother-in-law live. And wonderful place. And I think his his huge campaign against sugar and soda, though it might have been promoting healthy stuff, is certainly promoting take away people's there choice. Goes the South, the nanny state, right? There goes the South. So I think he's got bad. Now I think he's got good, which I'll hold for a minute or two and see what you guys think. This comes up every four years. We lost. We last saw it with the Never Trump movement. That didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. In 1976, there was a Stop Jimmy Carter movement. And there were a few people that thought that he was inexperienced, a one-term uh, governor from the South, and he would not be able to win the presidency. So Jerry Brown and Idaho Senator Frank Church jumped in and uh, late in the game and won some primaries, but they did not... Uh, significantly challenge his uh, march to the nomination. Then in 92, a weekend Bill Clinton um, started some hand-wringing among the party um, leaders because uh, too many women were coming out and accusing him of of, uh, deeds that they didn't think would make him the nominee. And uh, so they were uh, trying to convince Mario Cuomo to run, and um, none of those things panned out. So I think this is a frequent topic of conversation. I don't think that the two folks that we mentioned so far are going to result in being our nominees. And I don't think a third party, um, I don't think a third party run would, would lead to success. As we know, Ross Perot, uh, got 19 million votes in 1992 and he, he didn't got 19% of the vote, 19% of the vote. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and he, uh, didn't win a single state and spent $60 million to do so. You know, I think that Democrats have cause to be concerned here. We don't have the Barack Obama-style candidate, somebody who is who has charisma coming out of their ears, free of prior scandals. They're a good age to be president. They're per, they're they, they appeal to progressives and moderates, and they present an opportunity to open the White House to someone other than just a white male. Um, the problem is, I don't think a white knight exists out there. Um, I thought maybe it was a uh, Sherrod Brown who was. I always wanted to run for president. I thought he would do a fantastic job, uh, but I think it's too late for him to get in there. Um, I think that to the extent that a white knight exists, it has to be somebody that the ground that we bring up from the grassroots. Some of there's a real base of people who say you've got to run, draft so and so to run for office. Not a billionaire who just pops himself down in the middle of a race. And so I've, I've got a few problems with Bloomberg. Um, first is I don't see any type of groundswell to bring him into this race. He's a moderate white guy in his late 70s. If that's who you want, vote for Joe Biden. Um, He's actually a year older than Biden, um, 77 versus 76. And I can't make sense of Bloomberg's run. He's coming out because apparently or ostensibly he's concerned about Elizabeth Warren becoming president. He thinks that either she won't be elected or she's too radical. But what he's going to do is he's just splitting the moderate vote. So if you want a moderate, throw your money behind the moderate. Don't don't divide the vote. so and then, and then the other thing is he's a billion. He's a billion. Someone who's worth fifty-seven billion dollars when the median net worth of this country is ninety-seven thousand dollars per U.S. household. What does he know about the average person? You know, I just I, I think 
if we were to run someone to make Trump's head explode, it would be Jeff Bezos. I think he would absolutely go nuts if Bezos were the Democratic nominee. And and I'll go further. I think if Bezos were nominee by acclamation, he should also legally change his name to quid pro quo. That would drive Trump <laughs> insane. There is one advantage to having a billionaire candidate. They don't need any money. Um, they could spend a billion. Well, that was they, what Trump gave as his well, quality. Well, but he's having to raise because I don't think he's as rich right. as he is. But no, he's no. going to have about a billion dollars. We could use – it's not going to happen, but we could have used all the money then for down-ballot races because a billionaire can sell fun. That would be the only advantage. Um, I more agree with Dylan. I think there's a, a, a real palpable fear among Democrats right now. I hear it every day from friends and neighbors – and Al Hunt, who had a column in The Hill last week, said it straight out. He says there's a fear, fear that Biden is spent and Warren is unelectable. That's what's driving um, all of this. And I think this, these New York Times, Siena poll, college poll, really got Democrats thinking. I mean, Biden is only defeating Trump in Pennsylvania by three points, and he should be ahead by double digits in his home state. And Warren is down to Trump in Michigan by six. So I think it's the fear that we can't beat Trump. Bubbling up. I think I think um, we all feel that. Right. Everyone feels it. And um, with the caveat that a year out, the polls are not always, you know, not yeah. always reliable. But. Yeah. But you know, what, what, why I think these New York Times, Siena College polls hit home is because they are the swing states. Mm -hmm. And Trump is is ex from what I've seen, he's expanded his advantage among rural voters in swing states. The good news that I think is going to be coming out in polls that we saw after this election last Tuesday is that the suburbs are moving away from Trump. Mm -hmm. If we have huge turnout in urban areas and really get the suburbs back where they should be, doesn't matter. He's going to pull in rural areas. I think I agree with you. I don't see a path, Dylan. I don't see a path for uh, either Deval Patrick, who worked for Bain Capital, hmm. or Michael Bloomberg, because what I think the, the reporting is they think Biden isn't up to it, but they actually help War, uh, Warren and Sanders saying, "Oh, you know, billionaires, hedge fund, or Bain people are going to jump in and try to that 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 feeds into Warren and Sanders' message." Um, and I do look. I worry about. I'm a big fan of, of Mayor Pete, but I still worry that he doesn't have enough experience as a mayor of South Bend. That the being gay may still be an obstacle, and that he can't attract a lot of the African-American support we need. So I have doubts, as you know, about Warren, about Sanders, even about Biden. I like Joe Biden, but I wonder. I mean, Gary said to me last night, he goes, you know, he said, when I look at uh, Biden, the pictures are all right, but when I see the video of him, he looks like he looks like death. Now, I am going to a fundraiser for Joe Biden in Portland on Saturday, so I'll report to you whether he looks like death or not. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, that's what, what's feeding all this. Right. And I... I think, though, that it's too late for someone to get in because, look, the Democratic Party rules, you have to have at least 15 percent of the vote in any state to even get any delegates. Yeah. And we already have people for Mayor Pete, for uh, I almost said Earl Warren, I'd be um, Elizabeth <laughs> Warren, for Bernie Sanders and for Joe Biden. The only way I think this could be done is if someone comes in as a team, a ticket. I just put on Facebook this morning, just fantasizing, Gavin Newsom, Michelle Obama. People said, oh, wow. oh my God, that would win in a walk. Yeah. So you'd have to come in with a ticket like that to make uneasy Democrats say, 
all right, we're going to move. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I want to disagree a little bit with Dylan. I think I think Sherrod Brown is a white knight. I don't know if he's going to if he'll go for it, if he'll try. Uh, as early as a couple of days ago, I heard him say again, he's not going mm-hmm. to. Somebody pushed him saying, you know, at the same time you said no the last time, Bloomberg said no, and he's coming in now. Right. I think I think the difference is I think Bloomberg always has seen himself as president, where Sherrod Brown is one of those rare senators where I genuinely believe he has no interest in becoming president. But but he may have an interest in saving the country. Well, and how about interest in being patriotic? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, if yeah. we have a candidate who can beat Trump, I don't care if it's going to ruin your life. But you, you Save can, the world. You step can, up. You could make the same argument to Michelle Obama. She says she wants to raise her kids and, and she doesn't want any – Involvement in politics, but if someone said, "Hey, Gavin Newsom, Michelle Obama," I'm just fantasizing here. You could save the party, protect your husband's legacy. Maybe she could be convinced to do it. Maybe, but I think a much uh, more possible situation is Sherrod Brown, and I'd put I'd put Stacey Abrams on the ticket with him. And to me, well, Joe a, Biden may oh pick Stacey Abrams if he gets a nomination. Yeah, Sherrod Brown, Stacey Abrams—that's a tough ticket. A tough t- they, they, that's they, gonna be, that'd be the dream ticket, right? Wouldn't it be? Yeah, right. Sherrod Brown wins Ohio every year. He would clean up in Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. all those places. And and it, to start with, the left doesn't hate him. The right doesn't hate him. Right? He's thought of as a good progressive. Uh, I, I'm, I'm witness that Dylan has pushed Sherrod Brown forever. And <laughs> Thank the, you for the, this the, isn't a new thing. Actually, we had coffee in, in West Lynn, the, the the morning, Dylan and I had coffee the morning that Sherrod Brown said he wasn't going to run, and Dylan was very angry. I was sideways, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I, uh, well. Because I knew we would end up right back here with a ton of candidates, none of whom are particularly strong. And by the way, I do want to plug my, I have a blog, thebluebros.com. I have a new article up today talking about the fact that I do like Joe Biden a great deal. I think he'd be a fine president, but I have strong concerns about his electability. So yeah, thebluebros.com. All, every, every one of the major candidates, all four of them have in people's heads electability problems. The problem we're facing with this whole, quote, white knight scenario is not the inherent racism in the term only. But, but, you know, this is like when you want to have real... Beige knight. The beige beige knight coming in. (laughs) This is like when you're trying, like during Obamacare, when you're uh, debate, when we're trying to reform health care. Everyone has a stake. The hospitals have a stake. Hospital workers have a stake. Union members have a stake. Pharmaceutical companies have a stake. Insurance companies have a stake. Everyone's defending their own turf. We already have four candidates who are defending their own turf, and they have a big slice of the pie in Mayor Pete and Bernie and and Warren and uh, Joe Biden. So you'd have to get significant people to come out of those commitments to even get to a point where someone is viable. So I think, going back to Kim, I think it's kind of wishful thinking, although people are thinking it. As far as Bloomberg is concerned, Howard Schultz flirted with the idea of of entering the race, had a consultant, and decided that that was not a good idea. Yeah. Well, um, actually, Steve Schmidt, whom I like very much, who was John McCain's campaign manager and a never Trumper, went to actually work for him. And then, you know, it just wasn't happening. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of this comes from anxiety among the Democratic base about electability. Now, we're still we're still way out. And not, I, I, I think some of the people who are running are not electable because of their policies. 
And we've gone over that. We've had some problems here over that. Uh, but there are some people that might not be unelectable if it comes down to they're the only one or the only one in the race. And I believe that Biden, as much as he may stumble, is not unelectable. I think if he's the only one left, he's not unelectable. I think he's what everybody is agreeing on is America needs a little bit rebuilding after Trump has hollowed it out. And I don't think there are very many people that know more about rebuilding it than a Biden does. Now, he's not going to rebuild it with with uh, a lot of the things that that they want on the far left. Uh, and, I, you know, that can happen the next time if it's going to happen. Biden has a good heart. He's a likable guy. He knows politics. And 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 in the end, he's a fighter and a good and, Democrat. And look, you could I could almost make the same and I'm case not, by the way, I'm for not, Elizabeth Warren. I'm not. Uh, yet. Let me make a pro case for Elizabeth Warren. Um, I think we're overthinking. Democrats are overthinking this. I think to beat Trump, all you need is first of all, you need someone who is a complete moral contrast to Donald Trump. My feeling is in these six or seven swing states, someone who proposes doable things and who is a great contrast to Trump morally and ethically and in every way can win in a walk. That's why on the, the first episode of Wolfpack, I said, I wish Democrats would get together as candidates and say, forget, you know, these white papers on health care. Just say we're going to our goal is universal health care right. coverage. We're going to do it. All Democrats are committed to that because once you get into things that are really divisive and and let's be honest about the issue that's most divisive of a single payer. So I think if Elizabeth Warren did that and because, again, what the um, New York Times Siena uh, College poll showed, she's actually hurting She's actually pushing away the 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 uh, voters in these swing states that she's trying to help because they see her as a Harvard elitist who's shoving single payer down their throats, and so I just I think that everyone is electable on the Democratic side. Everybody, if the message is right for these swing states. Thank right. you, Carl. I I completely agree with that. I think Biden's electable. I think Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg are all electable if they run. Smart, strong campaigns. I mean, I think I think my my cat is electable against Donald Trump if a good campaign you is have run. A cat? So I do. I didn't I, know that. I, I do. I'm not willing to write off any of these. My candidates cat is not electable. As unelectable, um, it you know. And I, right now, what I'm seeing is I think the, the best campaigns that I'm seeing, candidate quality aside, is Buttigieg and Warren. These are the ones that we're seeing market improvements in each of these races. So people that show they can run a strong campaign are the ones that can probably run the best general. That's my thinking on it, but I don't even have a horse in this race right now. I just want. I don't either. I do think, though, that I think that uh, I don't think that the, the middle class of America will buy single payer and nothing else. Well, and, and luckily, lucky for us, maybe the voters, most voters aren't single issue voters. The, the yep. slogan that I've heard over the weekend by the bad guys. And if you like your current health insurance, too bad you can't keep it. You know, uh, that's going to come out like crazy. Uh, right. If Elizabeth it, it's not just the country. It's, again, these six swing states. I'll tell you before we uh, we might move on to another question. But I think the most impressive race so far is Mayor Pete's because um, Bernie Sanders has a core following. He's had it for years. So has Elizabeth Warren because they show up at the net roots. They, they do all the, the left uh, events. They're very well known. Biden's an establishment character who has a, a resume beginning in 1972. Pete Buttigieg jumped into this race and has created a significant following spontaneously in the last number of months. To me, that's impressive. But I 
do have doubts that he can win an election with very little experience as an openly gay man and not having, especially when he had this uh, issue with uh, police accountability in South Bend and turned off a lot of African-American voters, which are core to us winning. So even someone I admire and who I think has run the best campaign, I have electability issues. I'm more concerned with the fact that he got 8,200 votes in his last election and that he doesn't have foreign policy experience. But I think he's fantastic and he his his race so far has been incredibly impressive. I just want to shoot down Gavin Newsom. Uh, <laughs> not a household name. Uh, uh, not a household name. California, liberal, San Francisco. He's pretty. Yeah, he's pretty. That I can't up. see Gavin Newsom doing it in those. I uh, just put that out well, this morning. And, and well, we, I wanted to defend Gavin Newsom. Not, not only is he gorgeous, and that's coming from a straight man, but this is a <laughs> oh man, he is, Dylan calling Gavin Newsom <laughs> gorgeous. I may have to take a break and come back. If I could switch him in, I would do it immediately. Uh, Governor Goodhair, and he. Uh, <laughs> anyways, he is smart as a as a whip. He can talk to audience. He connects with people. Um, and I think we get way too hung up on ideology here. It's about connecting to voters, and that's what Trump had. He was crazy too. He is crazy, but he has an ability. For as much as we hate him, he can connect with an audience, and I see that charisma in Gavin Newsom. And I have, if he was a nominee, I, I think he would do fantastic. Trump connected with those people that felt insulted and ignored. Well, and he went right for it, and he knew how to do let, it. Let, I think Gavin Newsom is a California liberal, and I don't think he has the same uh, shot. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we may be looking at him if we lose in in, in twenty. We may. 24. And by the way, to defend Michael Bloomberg on a couple of things, he's been wonderful on gun violence. He's Absolutely. been one of the champions on that. And there are several other issues where I think he's he's, good, and, but he's he put his, much- and he's put major money into the last Democratic congressional win. Right. I, th- I think he put tons of money into all of those candidates. I want to say one thing before we leave about how Trump talks. And you you talk to rural voters or you hear him on them on the news. They connect with him because they, he say, he talks like me. I remember um, in college, I had he doesn't talk like me personally. He talks like them. Um, I had a, uh, my, some friends in in college whose mom was a teacher in Oak Ridge, and I remember she, she telling me this. She told me this story. At, they had a kid in in elementary school in the playground who was putting rocks in his mouth. And, and, you know, he, and so the teachers were trying to get him to stop putting rocks in his mouth at the recess. And they would say, you know, Billy or whatever his name was, mommy doesn't put rocks in her mouth. Daddy doesn't put rocks in, you know, his mouth. And the kid didn't stop till one day he was putting rocks in his mouth and a playmate came by and said, ooh, Billy, every dog's been by here has peed on them rocks <laughs> and he spit the rocks out. That's basically what Trump did in rural areas. I mean, he didn't throw out Harvard studies. Now, there's a lot of reasons Trump won. That's one of myriad of reasons why. But yes, we have to connect with voters You ha- and you have to be likable. And moving right along, let's talk about impeachment. Public impeachment hearings begin this week. As a matter of fact, uh, tomorrow. No, tomorrow. Uh, who do you guys think will have the upper hand with public opinion, the Democrats or Trump's defenders? I think the Democrats have the upper hand, and it's. And I mean, not to display my bias here, but I mean, come on, what do the Republicans have to work with here? They have they have uh, released their strategy memo going into tomorrow. <laughs> It's pathetic. I mean, what they're even the, even on the Washington doing, Times says it's pathetic, right? I mean, you go. I mean, their primary argument is now that he did nothing wrong. Um, that all Trump was doing was uh, fighting corruption. Well, I mean, first two responses to this. First is um, this is congressionally approved money. Congress 
approved it. The president passed it. Once that happens, he has one thing that he can do, which is cut the check and send it. Um, to sit there and say, well, now that everyone's approved it, I'm going to do my own investigation into corruption. He can't do it legally. And how easy is that to shoot down? Right. Like, well, And secondly, you tell me one other time when Trump cares about corruption. I mean, look at this. That's my point. His closest friends in the world, uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, North Korea, Vladimir Putin, Russia, uh, Philippines President Rodrigo Duterte, uh, President of Turkey, Erdogan, King Assad of Saudi Arabia. I mean, he loves corruption. He loves corrupt people. And now he's saying, yeah, yeah, I know I love corruption, but uh, the, this is the one instance, and it's just a coincidence that the one person in the world I want to investigate 10,000 miles away is the son of the person I'm probably going to be running for president. It just makes you realize how stupid Jim Jordan and the, Repub and the Republicans think the rest of us are, or at least their followers. You know, Lincoln said that you could fool some of the people all the time. Those are the Trump supporters, man. The people that listen to this and go, oh, yeah, that's right. Trump is such a fighter of corruption. It's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, the facts oh, are on our side, number one. And not only on our side, they're overwhelmingly on our side. Against the Trump being on our side. Right. Um, I think I give the huge advantage to Democrats, not simply because we have the overwhelming uh, evidence, but how the case is going to be laid out from all I understand. You've got a chair of the Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, who's a former federal prosecutor. And Adam Schiff is going to yield most of his time to two people. Daniel Goldman is uh, on the Intelligence Committee, was hired by the Intelligence Committee. He's a former fe federal prosecutor, spent 10 years with the Southern District of New York. Uh, and Daniel Noble, who's senior counsel uh, for the committee, who also worked for the Southern District of New York, who specializes, by the way, in organized crime prosecutions. Uh, and he was <laughs> – Daniel Noble and Daniel Goldman were the two people who handled most of the questioning in the private session. So you're not going to have uh, – for, for the lion's share of it, you're going to have seasoned federal prosecutors building a case with these witnesses. Thank God. Right. Um, so I think – and let's go back to the words bribery and extortion – we have to show that there's an overwhelming case of bribery and extortion. It's basically a shakedown of Ukraine so Trump could reap personal benefits, period. We're not going to – Dylan, we're not going to get the, 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 the Trump people. Um, but I think there's a few percentage people in the middle who, who say they're open to evidence and the evidence is overwhelming. And this these GOP talking points, one of them – in the, the four talking points in this memo that's been released is exactly what you were talking about, Paul, last week. Well, if they if they got the military money, it wasn't a crime. As you said last week, this is the guy who goes into the bank with a gun, points it at the teller. The police tackle him and they say, I didn't get the money. There's no crime. <laughs> right. That's exactly what you said last week. That is how pathetic these Republican arguments well, are. Well, I mean, Republicans are in an impossible spot. Um, they put country before – or party before country or more accurately Trump before country – and so they won't allow themselves to admit they did anything wrong. So they're having to defend the indefensible. And the result is this. Republican members of Congress are humiliating themselves every time they open their mouths and show the world what they are. Liars and frauds, frauds whose loyalty lies with a crooked president yep. rather than the country. And that's why uh, a bunch of them, at least 20, aren't having – Republicans in the House aren't even running next year. Mm. Peter King. Peter King's not going to run. Peter King, of all yeah. people. He's and, out. And, and the word behind it is they're so sick. These people are so sick of having to defend Trump in his tweets that they're gone. But also Peter King's district may be one of those suburban districts that's yep. going to dump out on the Republicans of because course. of Donald Trump. You know, By I, the way, attempted bribery 
is a crime. Attempted bribery is the same as bribery. You go to jail for it. Not that you have to have a crime in impeachment, but attempted bribery is a crime. And yeah. I want to say there's some confusion over this because the Constitution does talk about high crimes and misdemeanors. And so people do associate that with, oh, you need to have the criminal standards apply. Nope. And that is certainly not the and case. bribery is explicit in the Constitution. Yeah, bribery is explicit. In treason. You know, I saw a story at Raw, uh, Raw Story today that is intriguing. I don't know if it, it will ever happen. But it says that Mitch McConnell and the Republicans can vote. You know, there's nothing said about how what the procedure is in the House for impeaching or what the procedure is in the Senate for holding a trial on on impeachment. They could have it in, in secret. It could be a secret vote. And, and the source in the story said at least 30 Republican senators would vote to convict if it were in private. I think that's what and, Dylan's raised before. Yeah, but the, they're, they're saying that, that this – if they really wanted to force Trump's hand and make him resign before they voted, they could indicate – they could indicate that they were going to do it in private. He knows he's toast. He should cut his losses instead of being removed from office. I don't know if well, that happened, you know, but it's intriguing. Yeah, it is intriguing. But John Roberts will be presiding over that trial. Yeah, but, so it's not a completely a political trial. It's, no, wait, wait, John Roberts is it, is it political? Well – no, 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 I mean, no, no, I, no. John I, I, Roberts has to preside. That's the only requirement in, in, in the Constitution. The yeah. Chief Justice will preside over the trial, but the Senate gets to make the rules of how it's heard, how mm-hmm. and when it's heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I, totally I, I, up I mean, to One the of the Senate. rules could be John Roberts can just stand. You may stand here and say nothing. I mean, that could be pessimistic as I am. I honestly believe that John Roberts is going to do the right thing. I honestly believe he's going to conduct a fair and impartial trial. So, Paul, this is the first time that you are more optimistic about something <laughs> yeah, right. than I am. That's I, true. I can't well, believe it. And I, I made a point last week, and I'll make it again. I reread the Constitution. It also says that uh, the the president will be convicted by two thirds of those present. Some yeah. Republicans just take a hike right. and let him be convicted. Uh, I also, There's some good stuff in that Constitution, profiles. isn't there? There's some great stuff he in the should, Constitution. And I'd say we have the advantage because Trump them. hasn't read it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we have that advantage. NBC also reported just today that last Wednesday in Miami, John Bolton gave a private speech in which, which he said that President Trump's handling of Turkey was influenced by Trump's business interests in Turkey. And remember, we had talked about the fact that that the Congress had stipulated sanctions on Turkey if they bought this Russian missile defense system. Trump never did it. And this is one of the things Bolton specifically re- said in this speech. Why this is important is it goes to the idea of corruption, that this man is corrupt. It, may, it, it has no bearing perhaps on the immediate case of Ukraine, but it shows how corrupt. Number two, it's from an insider, John Bolton. And number three, it reinforces that Bolton really kind of wants, wants to dump to- the goods on Trump. And he would be, you know, I love that, that the most, one of the most hated people of the left now could be our savior. It's, we it's, welcome it's, all to the resistance. It's, 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 like, it's, like, Sean Hannity. it's like Sean Hannity hated WikiLeaks until he could use it, mm-hmm. uh, Julian Assange, against Hillary. Then Julian Assange was his best friend. Bolton wants to be forced. He's begging to be forced to testify. Well, it's tough because they've brought this in front of a federal judge and the hearing in the matter is not scheduled until December. So that's mm-hmm. going to throw a wrench into some of the time. They really don't need him, though. They have enough overwhelming evidence, but it will be fun to see what John Bolton says when he says it, right? Right. Uh, Also today or yesterday, uh, Trump is making noises about he thinks he's going to fire the inspector general of the intelligence committee. (laughs) 
of the intelligence department, the guy who brought the whistleblower forward. And one of the huge... Oh, the State Department, the Inspector General the of the State, State Department. Department. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and one of the huge... The appointee, by the way. One of the huge uh, uh, Republican committee demands is that the whistleblower come to testify. You know what? I think the Democrats should say, okay, he'll come testify and sit at the same table as Donald Trump holding his right hand. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, that's a really, I, I like that. That's a really good idea. Yeah. I saw a clip of Lindsey Graham Okay, today. here he is. Now put Trump yeah. next to him. He can confront him, put up his right <laughs> hand. and, and, they, and go, they go nose to nose. Go yeah. nose to nose or, or finger to mono finger. Mono a mono. <laughs> Big hand to small hand. Big hand to small hand. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> you know, I saw a clip of Lindsey, Lindsey Graham today from the time of impeachment of Bill Clinton. And he was going on and on about uh, perjury by the president of the United States was such an awful offense. Here's something that happened just today. You know, Roger Stone's trial is ongoing, okay? Yes. Rick Gates, who was uh, part of the campaign team for Trump and turned uh, state's evidence on Trump, testified today in Roger Stone's trial that Trump told him in 2016 that more damaging information would soon be coming out against Hillary Clinton right after he got off the phone with Roger Stone, who got who had just gotten off, off the phone with WikiLeaks. In Trump's written answers to Robert Mueller, Mueller, he said he never discussed WikiLeaks with Roger Stone during the 2016 campaign. Mm -hmm. That is another clear um, indication of perjury. Now, of course, they're going to try to keep Jesus, this. Trump is a liar. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but but provable in a court. Uh, that's you know, it, it doesn't go specifically to these Ukraine uh, to bribery or extortion. But I'll bet there'll be a number of impeachment articles, some abuse of power, some may be extortion. But perjury and obstruction of justice can be separate impeachment And Trump articles. can't even say that he forgot about it because we all know he has the best memory. <laughs> and there are six committees. <laughs> the best words. There are six committees working on this. They've been working on it before Robert Mueller released his – um, release his findings. Right. And they're going to include some of those things, undoubtedly, such as the fact that the military is forced to spend money at Trump's resorts. Right. One, 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 another breaking piece of news today. I don't know much about it. I don't know uh, to, to, to describe a whole lot. But there's a, an, uh, an investigative reporter that kills for Trump named John Solomon. Uh, he writes for The Hill. And allegedly, this whole uh, Ukraine investigation, Biden doing something wrong, started with an article that he wrote for The Hill in April that was picked up by Fox that said investigative reporter John Solomon is 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 claiming that Trump is is doing not Trump. Uh, Biden is doing illegal things in Ukraine. And then that went to Trump. And, and then he went right on that. And somewhere in there, I heard this thing tonight, somewhere in there, uh, Levin, Igor are involved. Giuliani is involved. Parnas is involved. Well, you know, uh, another, not Parnas, uh, Furtash, Dimitri Furtash. The, the thing, and going back to what we just said, and that's a great point, um, Paul, but going back to the memo that we've seen how Democrat or Republicans are going to fight this case, all their points are about the phone call. This is bigger than the phone call. Yes. This, this, uh, because witness, we know from witnesses now and the transcripts release that this thing was going on for months. It was a shadow attempt. It wasn't just the phone call. That's how we got into this through the whistleblower's original complaint. But it's much larger than that. And the bottom line is here, if there is some percentage of the American people, I know a lot of people hate Trump and will never vote for him. A lot of people love Trump and will vote for him. 
whatever percentage is in the middle, they're going to have to look at overwhelming evidence by career State Department military officials whose entire life has been patriotic to this country, who are trustworthy and honest, versus a pathological liar and his minions who, you know, that's what they're going to have to see. Our job constitutionally is to lay it out there for the American people. And the Senate will do what the Senate's going to do. But this is a constitutional requirement. I'm glad we're doing it. And they also have to decide whether or not they want to vote for members of Congress who have trashed exactly. war heroes and longtime civil servants. And that may be exactly why Mitch McConnell will want a secret vote, to shield some of the senators from actually, you know, voting for uh, to, to acquit Trump. It may hurt them in races. And Let's we know from the transcripts that have come out already that this was not the only phone call that was put in the code word code word yeah. server. So there are other phone calls right. in which. And why, uh, why can't we? Why can't they? Why can't they subpoena those like they did Nixon's tapes? I think they have, and yeah. I think I think that, that they're not being released, which is obstruction of justice. I just want to mention that you're listening to the Wolfpack Podcast. I'm Carl Wolfson, along with Paul Block, Dylan Hyde, Kim Upham. We're produced by Patrick Zahn, who's with us here. We come to you from Northwest Portland. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple uh, Play, and iTunes. If you like this show, and tonight's a terrific, terrific example of our good work. <laughs> uh, please rate us at all those services and spread the word. Uh, we may be preaching a lot to the choir, but I'm sure there are a lot of people out here who, out there who really just want to listen to good, smart political discussion. Go ahead. Paul. You can Tell also reach us through our uh, our website, which is Wolfpack PDX, as in Portland's airport. WolfpackPDX.com, and click on podcast or click on anything else you want. And I know we have listeners who aren't members of the choir, but people are just who want really? smart analysis of what's going on. I'm not. I am. But we have another thing we want to talk about. We, we're okay. we're we're about to do the our first piece on the Wolfpack Book Club. Uh, there's, there's only a, one book in that club. <laughs> Slide by Carl Wolfson. Go to Amazon.com or your local bookstore. After you've bought and read Slide, <laughs> think about a book called A Warning that's going to be released on November 19th. It's got explosive news stories about Trump. It's a book written by the same person, Anonymous, who wrote that uh, op-ed piece in the New York Times about blowing the lid off of the Trump administration. Uh, will this book, will it, increases his will it increase his chances of conviction by the Senate? And beyond that, who do you think wrote it? Uh, you know, if, if you listen to, to uh, Nikki Haley today, uh, 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 who's developing a very long tongue, by the way, uh, uh, Nikki whoa, Haley. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you mean a forked tongue? Are you calling her deep throat? <laughs> uh, uh, she she went off on how uh, Kelly and Tillerson uh, wanted to, to told her that they were there to protect the country against which is, Trump. Which is really weird because she, by telling this story, she's making Trump look really bad that his two closest advisors don't trust him. And then Trump comes out and thanks her for her courage and is promoting her book for her. Let me be very honest about what's happening here. Let's cut to the chase. She's Nikki running. Haley wants to run for president yeah. uh, in 2024. She wants it both ways. She, she wants the Trump people and say, well, you know, I didn't go along with it because they were trying to undermine it. And she's trying to be like, well, I was in the middle of this. She wants it both ways so mm -hmm. she can both get the nomination in 2024 of the Republican. Republican Party and win the election. You think I have she's no not going after VP in 2020? Uh, that could be. It absolutely could be. Um, I guys. think that an anonymous is Tiffany Trump. 
<laughs> Could be Baron. Uh, what about Baron? Too many times. Tiffany though. Trump is no dope. She's in law school, about to graduate. Georgetown. She's the only one in the Trump family who's made something of herself. And I think if it's not Tiffany Trump, then it's Mark Kelly. I think it's either Mark Kelly or um, Rex Tillerson. Is Mark Kelly enough on the inside? Not Mark Kelly. You mean John, John Kelly. Kelly? John Kelly. Thank yeah. you. Are you saying Dylan? John Kelly? Or- um, I don't think we, it's anybody famous because the big names in the White House that we know, Stephen Miller, Kellyanne Conway, Mick Mulvaney. I mean, <laughs> the, we know that Anonymous is someone who has a, who holds John and McCain in high esteem. The people that we know of in the White House do not respect John McCain. So I, it reminds me of when Mark Felt came out as, as Deep Throat. Everyone was like, who? Like that was – it was kind of anticlimactic. We wanted to be a big name, a John Dean or – well, it wouldn't have been John Dean. But we wanted to be somebody important. And so I think this is going to be – when we do find out, it's going to be like, oh, who? Like it's um, – because when there's hundreds of people in the White House, we know of five, six. Let me you throw know, up my theory. What is my it? theory Guttenberg? is – Guttenberg? Guttenberg and, and, and Pelosi will not – Take it to trial. Those are two theories. My third theory <laughs> is that this is going to be a collaboration. This book is a collaboration of someone with the stories and a ghost writer. And I think, I think it's Kellyanne Conway and her no husband way. George Conway. That I, that could be. I mean, that could be. I, I I said to you as I came in this morning that um, and maybe that's they, the only they ran a clip of Kellyanne. I was in my living room with my cat Tux next to me on the sofa today. They ran a, <laughs> they ran a clip of Kellyanne Conway, and just as they did, Tux threw up a thir- fur ball. So I, you know, she actually makes me I nauseous. Did the same thing in my living room. You when popped, she up came in. <laughs> popped up a fur ball. I popped up a fur ball. I know. As the line goes, she has a twin sister in Kansas and a house fell on her. You got the point of that. That um, speculation is: Do we think a warning, the book that comes and tells all the stories, do you think it's going to move the needle at all? What exactly here, here, are they warning? Here, well, We've known exactly who Trump yeah, yeah. was since before he got the nomination. Here's my theory. Uh, first of all, I am totally amazed that the name of this person or persons has not been revealed. In fact, I thought after that op-ed came out that it would maybe be six or seven weeks right. before we would know who this is. I am shocked that the person – maybe Lars needs to go on and tell us again <laughs> who, who this was. Number one. But number two, I, I agree with you, Kim. But this election is going to be decided by a sliver of voters. It, look, the economy is good and that's going to help Trump. And from all I've seen, he has actually helped himself in rural areas of the country. I'm confident if we have the kind of turnout as Democrats in urban America and get the suburbs back, we are going to win this election even in the swing states. But I am I think that it's the suburban people who may have voted for Trump before, women especially, who see this corruption and every story that comes out about his malfeasance, about his unfitness for office, is going to be another way to move just enough people over to our side. I think people have had enough. Every new episode of this may just help us as far as the Chinese water torture of Trump. I just believe that. <laughs> and I agree with that. But even if it doesn't make a difference, it's like catnip for liberals, right? I mean, right. The, the stories are fun to read. Like they're affirming of what we already believe. And who doesn't love that? Um, one, of, one of the quotes, one of the quotes I saw from the book was that Trump quote has a toxic combination of amorality and indifference, which I thought was pretty fantastic. And there's also talk of a, a midnight self massacre, which never happened. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is the Saturday night self-immolation. Right. So like they were talking about just all firing themselves and walking out in mass protest. But but what I'm discovering. But then they got a conscience and decided that that would be worse for the country to leave the. Right. right. I mean, Only they know, can that's, save the country. That's maybe the right. biggest yeah. thing that surprised me over the past three years is that Republicans who I thought were bold and had spines 
they have less of a spine than Democrats have. I mean, there are no profiles encouraging that party other than maybe Jeff Flake. And I mean, He's what, on his way out. what shocks me is like, like Jeff Sessions is such a great example of what we're seeing here. Trump trashed Sessions, just completely trashed him. Now he's running for Senate and his message is, hey, even though I got trashed by Donald Trump, I still said nothing bad about him. Look how great I am. It's like, come right. on, stand up for yourself. Yeah, uh, go ahead, Kim. This is what we're learning from this book, from the things that have been released so far. Uh, that Trump is impulsive, uninformed, willing to defy norms. Nothing new. We knew that before. And that he's also impatient, immoral, cruel, and dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I I personally won't be giving any money to Anonymous because mm -hmm. they're essentially saying I, you know, had the courage of my convictions before I didn't. Well, number one, there may be things coming out on November 19th even more explosive than that. And I understand how people feel about someone who writes anonymously and people who didn't have the courage to leave and protest. I, but I but bet Tiffany you. But Tiffany has to pay for law school, I'll, I'll so there's you. that. <laughs> so I, I might be softening my I position. I will bet law you. Law school's expensive. Here, here's, a, here's a big question, though, <laughs> Tiffany, and I appreciate the humor. <laughs> but will Rex Tillerson, will John Kelly, will the author of this book, before election time, a year from now, come out publicly cut ads saying this man is unfit for office. That would have a lot of power for a lot of people. Let me just say one last thing on this. On Salem, I, I was down doing comedy shows in Salem on Saturday. I have always felt in my 40 years that comedy audiences are a really good barometer of how people are thinking. Um, Salem, by the way, this is our state capital, those listening out of state, is in Marion County. Marion County is – I thought it was like 50-50. actually went for Trump by five points over Hillary in 2016 and went for Romney by four points over Obama in 2012. And the club guy told me before I went up, he said, just so you know, there's a 50-50 chance, you know, Trumpers are going to be in the majority in this audience. I said, I don't care. You know, I do my show. So when I did my first Trump joke – there was huge applause in the audience. There was some booze in the audience, but this is and this is not a venue where a lot of intellectuals go for comedy. So we're dealing with more of what I would say the average person of Salem, Oregon, overwhelmingly loved the anti-Trump stuff. My response was, I just divided the room into to people who are sane and people who will be studied 30 years from now, <laughs> which also got another laugh. So I am sensing, as I told you in Woodstock, Illinois, which is kind of Republican country, not a person defended Trump when I was there in in uh, over the summer. These are more of how suburbia is going to vote. They're going to decide this election, in my opinion. So the more – and I think they are repulsed by everything about this man. I just say the more that comes out in Anonymous, the more that helps us get one, two, three, a hundred thousand more voters. Good for that. Well, okay, I agree. <laughs> I think it keeps him but off I, of his game too. He's I, it not also able pisses to, him off. He's not able to focus on the election. I mean, with the impeachment hearings, all these things coming forward in the news every day, that is putting him back behind. Though, though comedy behind. is a good barometer. It's a great barometer, in my opinion. Comedy is also the best persuader. Right. Uh, I think that people will listen to you and laugh when when you when you say is, the man is a this six. This is Paul's of a comment bitch. on la episode ten. <laughs> there it is. Six son of a bitch. Uh, who's an In that case, I agree, Paul. Uh, an existential uh, uh, threat. Uh, when you go back to when when Nixon was uh, president, 
you know, and you go back to Norman Lear's shows and you go back to All in the Family and the Jeffersons and those things. I mean, these are these are things that change people's minds. And that's why I continue to say that people such as uh, Jimmy Kimmel and Stephen Colbert and Samantha Bee and Trevor Noah. Uh, Trevor Noah and all these people are really leading uh, leading the opposition to Trump in a sense that – and we know from studies that using humor, people will be more likely to remember what you say using humor than just saying it over and over again in, in, in a direct way. These people have led the opposition in many ways in the social uh, in, in social circles to Donald Trump. And I, I – you know, I've done my little bit here and there. And I agree. And you left off my favorite, and that's John Oliver. John Oliver, right. Boy, uh, uh, did anybody uh, see his show this past Sunday with the no, production number? No. you got to watch it. Best, biggest production number I've ever seen on television. I'm watching the Guttenberg show. Now, before we leave uh, today, uh, we usually try to end with something you may not know. Uh, Kim, Dylan, you want to start? Yeah, I've got three. Uh, the first one is the first couple to be shown in bed together on <clears throat> primetime TV were... Oh, you're never going to get this. It wasn't Lucy and Zelly and Cher. Never going to get this. Fred and Wilma Flintstone. Oh, that's oh. of course. <laughs> uh, the they second got their is, rocks off. Oh. <laughs> you, 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 you can now find that under the anime category on Pornhub. Okay. Uh, we're changing the topic very quickly, too. What door have you opened, Kim? I know. I, every week. How does this happen? I'm blushing over here. Never heard these words before. Uh, the state with the highest percentage of people who walk to work. <clears throat> Well, I know it's not Alaska. It is Alaska. All right. <laughs> That's why I chose really? that one. incredible. And my third thing is the average number of people airborne over the United States in any given hour. Yeah. Is 61,000. Yeah. Nice. That's, wow. that's Those less are great. than I thought it would be. Yeah. Excellent. Egg their pancakes. Go ahead, Dylan. I was thinking that there are people that were born in the air in any given hour. I'm like, well, that can't be very many people. I'm going to make you blush when it comes to me, um, by the way. So I like to – my information, I want to kind of – I'm out. <laughs> I want to pass on some good news. Um, we've kind of leave you the uplifting message. Um, this starts with a story that started in the year 900. There was a small Native American tribe living off the coast of Eureka, California, and it was called the Wyatt Tribe. And they lived peacefully there till about the 1840s when um, white settlers came in with the discovery of gold. And by the late 1850s, the white settlers were encroaching on the Wyatt's land and uh, they wanted their cattle to graze on their land. And the Native Americans said, we don't want your cattle on our land. And so this came to a head on February 26th of 1860 when a group of white settlers, um, while the Wyatt's were sleeping, came in using axe, knives, and guns and killed almost every member of the tribe. Jesus! Which they, what a happy ending. Right. <laughs> um, which they think there were upwards of about possibly 250 of the Wyatts were killed, which was most of them. Oh. Um, and then the Wyatts took their land and grazed their cattle on there. And so you're going to be saying, where's the good news in this? Well, last month, um, the city council of Eureka voted unanimously to deed the Wyatt Islands back to the Wyatt tribe. Um, after 150 years of them not having the land. And local papers have remarked this is the first time that anyone can recall that a local municipality has repatriated such a large amount of land back Good. to a local tribe without doing so for money or being forced to by a court of law. And so the Wyatt Tribal Chairman Ted Hernandez said about it, quote, today is a good day to be alive. 
And so Native American organizations around the country are hoping this can be a precedent for more states and local governments to see the value in returning lands back to Native American tribes that had that improperly taken from them. It's nice. I love Eureka. It's a wonderful town. They have a wonderful oh, yeah. uh, 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 a group of, of old, beautiful Victorian homes. So if anybody wants to visit it, which it's we're a great taken place from to Indians. Go. Yeah. Uh, and, Native a, and a great city council. Um, uh, yes. That's great news. Very nice. Um, I have two things quick. Firstly, according to the World Animal Foundation, approximately one million dogs in the United States have been named the primary beneficiary of their owner's will. (laughs) There's some family closeness. Now you got my kids nervous. (laughs) I'm going to start a business to help those dogs, you know, spend the wealth. Absolutely. And um, Richard Leo Simon. He died in 1960. He was the co-founder of the mega publishing house Simon & Schuster. We all know Simon & Schuster. Did you know he was the father of Carly Simon? Mm-hmm. Yes, I knew it. Okay. I, I love Carly Simon, by the way. I have a soft spot in my heart because the last quarter I was in college, I, need seven, I needed uh, seven courses to graduate. And it was a lot of pressure. I kept playing her album with a No Secrets album over and over. I know that by heart. Um, so I have a soft spot for Carly Simon. Here's something else I found interesting. Talking about a family with talent. Car- Carly's sister, Joanna Simon, was a longtime opera singer with the Met and the New York City Opera. She toured throughout the world. Joanna Simon was also an award-winning arts correspondent for McNeil, Luz, News, uh, McNeil Lair News Hour from 86 to 92. And from 2005 to 2009, Joanna Simon dated Walter Cronkite. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And wow. their other sister, Carly's other sister, Lucy Simon, is a Grammy Award-winning singer and composer. Lucy made her Broadway debut in 1991 as composer of The Secret Garden, for which she was nominated for a Tony Award and Best Original Score. Talk about three daughters. And wow. we only know Carly. And and most people probably only know Carly. Uh, and uh, their mom uh, worked uh, in civil rights organizations her whole adult life. So something you don't and know the, about and Carly the forgotten Simon's family. Simon, Tiffany Simon. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they had one son who didn't do well. Simple Simon was Aww, just a disappointment. Okay. Well, uh, I, I'm not going to take you to too much uh, 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 high class uh, uh, stuff here. When I was uh, starting in the entertainment industry, I worked in a talent agency mailroom. And back in was that M A I L M A I L? Oh, I thought it was a job for me. (laughs) Mailroom. Well, you would have liked the office manager actually, Uh, but uh, (laughs) and half of our clientele. But but, uh, uh, working with me was a was was a fellow who became my best friend. His name was Dick Harry H E R E Harry, and uh, another one of our great friends (laughs) was a fellow who actually went into politics in uh, in uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. He became a big shot in the city council. His name was Chuck Cox. And Dick and Chuck, they shared an apartment on 76th Street in Manhattan. And when you and when you went to the Somehow I know where this is going. When you went to the buzzer to go to visit them, the buzzer, buzzer said Harry Cox. Now that's the end of my story. <laughs> and when Dick Harry was in uh, elementary school, they often do the first name first, you know. And yes, it's they like did. Harry Dick. So Hi, Kim. How are you I'm doing? I'm sorry, Kim. <laughs> Just I had to go there. I'm you know, sorry. Dick Harry's not doing well, and I know Dick Harry as well. In fact, you and I had, had drinks with Dick some years ago in Portland. He's a, he's a wonderful man, great producer, and uh, I wish him well. And, and as, as we go on, I'll tell some more Dick Harry stories. He's got a great one about Richard Pryor. Got a great joke he tells me all the time, but we'll do it another time before I embarrass the hell out of Kim. I think Kim could take it fine. Am right? I in the barometer here of, no. of all things decent? No. And- <laughs> 
<laughs> Anybody want to hear a Dick Harry joke? No, no that, that. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. This the is Dick, a joke he tells. This is a joke he tells, and he makes okay. me laugh every time he tells me. This lady has a door falling off the hinges. Goes to the hardware store to buy a hinge, and goes to the guy at the hardware store and says, "I need a hinge for my door." He brings her a hinge, and he says to her, "Do you want a screw for that hinge?" And she says, "No, but I'll blow you for the toaster." <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Catskills. <laughs> you know, you need to leave here and play the condos in Miami. I think you would be. I've already done it. I've already done it. <laughs> See, this is. I'm retired now. Um, okay. So how do we close the show? Does anyone know? Um, we say we're going to come back next week. We yeah. say that mm -hmm. uh, you guys should all, everybody out there should pay attention to the, uh, the, uh, the hearings. Decide for yeah. yourself what should be done. And uh, I want to, my part of the closing, and others can go for others. Uh, we, we've already acknowledged our producer, Patrick Zahn. Music by Brian Sussman. We come from Northwest Portland, from the Lane Gallery and the Steel Door Gallery. They put a, they put together the back room. That's now you wouldn't believe the hinges on the door studio. here. They're massive. And we, and we also have a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I cannot top that. Uh, see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.